At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is righteous. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. This is the word of God for the people of God. series. In the past few weeks, we have been looking at different stories in the Bible where Jesus has specifically, where God has said they've had some people have had some interaction with God. And through that interaction, God has changed them and they've changed the course of what happens next. And we've been taking the lessons learned from those Bible stories and we've been applying that to us as a body of believers and how it can make us stronger together. 
And so today, as we look at Acts 10 and look at Peter and Cornelius, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Acts 10 or pull it up on the Bible app so we can follow along because there'll be different times I'll be referencing back to to Acts 10. But first, will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you and we are so thankful that we can gather together as a group of believers. Thank you for this gift. Lord, less of me and more of you today. May we be obedient to your word. Amen. So before we jump into the big cliffhanger of Acts 10 and what's going on there, we need to do a little rewind and recap to catch everybody up to what is happening before Acts 10. First, Jesus has been crucified. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Yeah, good job. He rose from the dead. You got it. And then he appeared in his resurrected form to numerous followers. And then after that, we get the book of Acts, written by Luke. It's the story of the Acts of the Apostles. But what I really think it is, is the story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the promised Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Jesus kept talking about when he was with the disciples, he kept saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And they're like, I don't know what he's talking about, but he's sending it. Here it is. Here it is in Acts. And in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit show up with a bang. All the believers are together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was so incredible. The Holy Spirit's like, I'm not just showing up, I'm going to show up. And here he is, the Holy Spirit showing up on all these believers. People are around in amazement. They're like, whoa, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. And some are just in awe, and some are debating, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with them? Are they drunk? You know, and Peter saying, no, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. For some, that might be normal, but for them, no, it wasn't. It was, so here they are. They're like, and the Holy Spirit has come. And then we see what happens, right? We see the fellowship of the believers. They're like, oh, we have to be together, the, the connection they have. In verse 242, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is beautiful. Whenever I read this section of Acts, I'm just like, oh, I just want to be there. I want to be in that midst of these people because there's just something beautiful happening there. This is community. This is church. This is amazing. And this is a group specifically of Jewish believers, which is vital for us to remember as we move on in our journey through Acts. Because you see, for a Jew, they have been commanded for generations to tell their story. Their story of the Israelites. God commanded them, tell your children and tell that, those children, tell their children and their children and their children. Our story is a rich one. You are a chosen people. 
that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that delivered you from captivity in Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. And then I always was providing for you. I've given you laws to show you how to live. Obedience was a huge part of this story. God wanted it passed on and passed on so the people would know who they are. And so we have these Jewish believers. And we have the apostles in Acts, and they're going, and they they haven't forgotten that story. They're making sure everybody knows that story. In Acts, we see they're telling the story. Hey, we're those Israelites, we're those. But they're adding Jesus. They're adding that you cannot be saved by these laws alone. That story is a great one, but it's not going to save you. Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things. There are miracles and healing. But not all of the Jews can wrap their head around this. That Jesus, you're saying Jesus came to fulfill the law, that now I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit and not by the law? This goes against everything I've ever learned. This goes against everything I've ever lived. I've always followed the rules. I've done the right things. And now you're saying I just can be forgiven and there's Jesus? This isn't making sense. So while there's people being added to their number, there's people getting really mad. So mad that a lot of these apostles and the followers of Jesus, they're being persecuted and killed for telling people about Jesus. And they get scattered all over Judea, Samaria, all places because of the message of Jesus. And that leads us to Acts 10, where we see a tale of two visions. The first, Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion in the Roman army. Normally, a centurion is someone that's very high up that people, you know, Jewish people feared because they could do whatever they want and get away with it. He was also a Gentile. And a Gentile is anyone that is not a Jew. And by Jewish custom and law, they were not supposed to associate with Gentiles. They weren't following the same thing. And then you also see here in this text that Cornelius is a God-fearing Gentile. He's praying, he's doing things to further, to know God more. And so we see that, which at the time, people were converting to Judaism so that they could be Jesus followers. They were like, oh, I I need to do all the things that the Jews do in order for me to follow Jesus. That, That was the belief. And so Cornelius, he gets this vision. See, he's hungry. He wants to know more. He knows there's more. And he's hungry and he gets a vision. And it tells him to go get Peter. And so he does. Which leads us to Peter. A bit more unique of a vision. And let's remember who Peter is for a second. Peter is the brash fisherman. The bold disciple of Jesus. The Peter that said, I want to walk on water too, Jesus. That Peter. The Peter that said, I'll never deny you. And then he denies him three times before the rooster crows, Peter. He's the same Peter that God came back and said, Jesus, like, do you love me? Feed my sheep, Peter. And he's the same Peter that Jesus said, I will build my church on you. You are a rock. That Peter is on the roof praying. And he's hungry. And he gets a vision. This large sheet comes down in the vision from heaven. And there's numerous animals and birds and reptiles on it. And the voice says, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter, 
being the good God-fearing Jew he is, says no way. Because you see, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there are strict dietary laws of what a Jew could eat. They could only eat animals with split hooves and that chewed the cud. They could only eat a very limited amount of kinds of birds. And reptiles were right out. No reptiles. And so it looks like Peter is getting tested. And he's passing, right? Because he's like, no, I, I won't do that. Until we see in chapter 10, verse 15, the voice says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And in typical fashion with Peter, the vision happens three times. So God's trying to get the message across to him. And so this sheet goes back up and Peter is left thinking, what does this mean? God even says to him, people are going to come to your door. And God is kind of trying to get through to Peter, saying, I have come to bring salvation to the Gentiles, and you're going to be part of it. And Peter is really thinking. And the next thing he knows is there are three men at his door, just like God said. Peter knows one thing. This is no coincidence. This is a God instance. Peter's like, I better go. I'm going to get these guys. And so he, he invites them into his house, which is against Jewish custom to have a Gentile in your house. But he's like, I'm obeying God, not the normal custom. And he invites them in. And that leads us to where we were today, where he goes with them to Cornelius's house. And when he gets to Cornelius's house, Cornelius sees him and he bows down before him. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 I'm just a man. I'm just a man, right? And he's saying, as he's there, he's registering, like, hey, wait a second. What is going on? Like, I, I came because of God. And he says this. In chapter 10, it says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And Cornelius proceeds to tell Peter about his vision and about how he, his whole household is now gathered to hear what he has to say. Talk about a ready audience. And so is Peter going to be obedient? Is he going to take it? What is he going to do? Peter, again, is smart. He doesn't miss this. In 1034, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And he is having this eureka moment with God. And he's like, all right. And so he proceeds to tell the message about Jesus, about how anyone who calls on the name of the Lord receives the forgiveness of sins. And this goes back to when in chapter 2, Peter said, he was reminding the people of the prophet Joel that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and my spirit will be poured out among the nations. We're seeing it right here in action. Because as he's telling them about the forgiveness of sins and Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them as he's speaking. Like this is all happening right then as he's speaking. And in verse 47, Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. This is so powerful. Because even at that time, the believers, this Holy Spirit thing is new to them too. They're thinking, do I have to be baptized with water before the Holy Spirit? What's, what's the right routine? Holy Spirit first, baptized. Peter's like discovering from God, it doesn't matter. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what matters. 
You see, for generations, the Israelites were God's chosen people, set apart for God, to follow what God wanted them to command to do. He wanted to show his power. God wanted to show his power through these Israelites. And Jesus came from that line, right? But now the line is opened. The line is opened for all who believe in Jesus. This is incredible. This is the good news. Because it's that moment when we all say, you know what? I am in desperate need of Jesus. And we all collide at the cross. And that is what is happening right here. Because Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Because of Peter's obedience, we see the wall between Jew and Gentile broken down. And we see that it's not about the rules. It's, you don't have to have a special diet. You need Jesus. And that is what we're seeing happening right here in this scripture. And it's constantly showing us that we are stronger together when we are obedient to God. And here's the thing about obedience. We don't like it. We've had a problem with it since the garden. It's a common thread throughout scripture. Not wanting to follow the rules. And I don't know about you, but it's not something we write on our resumes or college essay. Highly obedient. It's not a trait I usually like go around saying. Most of the time probably because I have a problem with it. So I'm like difficult doing it, right? Obedience to the spirit. Obedience means submitting to someone else. Obedience means putting someone else's authority above yours. Obedience means not getting your way all the time. Obedience means having to follow someone else's rules that you didn't get to make up. Obedience is usually not a flattering thing to have to say. Oh, let me be the obedient one. But God is saying that's what he wants. Realizing that he is greater than us. Realizing that we need to submit to him. That God, yes, I am yours. What are we going to do today? That is it right there. And obedience, as we've been seeing the past few weeks, it shows when we're being to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can change us. The Holy Spirit can fix us. It counsels us. It comforts us. And it can encourage us to do this. We can't do obedience to God on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. And as we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, we see him deliver us from things that we're holding on to, from captivity of ourselves. We see him like Peter. With Peter, he nudged Peter to go to someone he might never have went to. And Peter obeyed. And look what happened. We as the Western church might not even have existed if this hadn't happened. And I know for myself, obedience to the Spirit is a little tricky, right? Sometimes I feel a lot, often this is what happens with me in the Spirit. He, or, you know, the Spirit will tell me, go talk to that person and, and go pray with that person. And I'm like, eh, okay. And first right now you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if you're in the church, that's what you're supposed to do, pray with the person, right? Okay, I'm not talking about in the church, y'all. Even then, sometimes that's true. I'm talking about, sometimes I feel the Spirit nudge me to, like, pray with someone, like, at Walmart. Or when I have my hair in the shampoo bowl of a hairdresser. Awkward. And, like, so I'm sitting there, like, I am not doing it. And I will talk to God, and I say, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no how. If someone else starts it, I'll do it, but I am not doing it. Not doing it. And you know what happens? I regret it every time. Every time I have said, felt God's nudge, to go talk to a person or to pray with them, and I have not done it. I have regretted it. You know what I haven't regretted? The times I did it. The times I was like, you know what? I am going to, all right, God, you're nudging me. By golly, I'm going to do it. Let's pray right now. You know, or go up to them and say, hi, I don't know why. You know, let's talk to them. Those times. 
Now, I wish I could tell you a glorious story that at that moment their life was changed and it was clear that God knew exactly what he wanted me to do at that moment. Uh-uh. I usually leave feeling awkward, weird, and wondering, well, I did it. And, but I don't regret it. Because at that moment I go, God, you're the God in control. You're the God that knows what's going on. You nudged me to do it and I was obedient to you. I don't know what you're going to do in that person's life today. But I was obedient to you and you changed me in the process. And it actually gets me more fired up for God. Because when I'm obedient, I'm like, all right, let's try it again. Try it again. If I strike out, try it again. Right? If I get rejected, try it again. Because my purpose and your whole purpose on this earth, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is to, it's to know God and to make him known. We get confused because we think that that is not our purpose. Sometimes we wonder, what is my purpose in life? That's it. I'm telling you right now. Our purpose in life is to know Jesus and make him known. In Acts 11, 17, um, Peter is talking to the believers that are gathered around. And he says to them, they're wondering, like, what was going on back there? That's pretty cool. And he says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? We tend to live our life standing in God's way. We put God in this box and we bring him out when it seems good, right? Like, oh, this is a good time. This might be a good time. But God's like, no. I, I meant to be outside the box. I'm outside of the uh, capacity of your mind to even think about how great I am. And so our eyes should be thinking, Lord, my job is to make you know what role do I have in that today? What role do I have in that today? Because while the Israelites were the chosen set-apart people, that is the story leading us up to Jesus. And Jesus' new story, which we see in First Peter, is you are a chosen people. We are a chosen people, a holy priesthood, to declare the praises of one who called us out of darkness into his light. There is a lot of darkness out there. This world is full of hurt. It's full of pain. It's full of brokenness. And it's our job to bring the light and to bring glory to him. That's our job. Our job is to be obedient to the Spirit. Are we getting in God's way? And look back at Acts 10.25 for a second, where Peter and Cornelius first meet. Cornelius drops to, his, to the ground, onto his knees, and bows before Peter. There's something very specific and beautiful about this posture. This posture is a posture of obedience. Because when you are bowed and your head and face are to the ground, you are vulnerable. You are saying that whoever you are bowing before has authority over you. They could do something to harm you. You're trusting that they are not. And you're also saying, okay, I'm ready. Now Peter, knowing he's not God, says get up, right? But we can learn something from this posture of obedience in the sense of what is our posture before God every day. And maybe bowing is a little weird for the 21st century, but there are other postures we can take. A few years ago, I went to a conference, and I went to a seminar by Danielle Strickland, who is a popular uh, pastor and speaker and social activist, and um, she did a seminar on infinitum, which is a prayer posture. And because one of the things she does is, how do I pray this posture prayer every day so she can be more God-focused and other-focused to be obedient to what God wants her to do. 
And I want to teach you that prayer posture today. So it's going to take a little bit of audience participation, but don't worry, you don't need to stand up. You just need to use your hands. Okay. So, first of all, the posture starts with surrender. But before you surrender, we have to realize what our natural posture is. Our natural posture is this. So clench your hands in front of you. Our natural posture is to clench our fists like we're ready for a fight. To defend to try to climb up the success ladder, to not let anyone hurt us, to make sure our opinions are heard. This is our natural posture. But when we're obedient to the Spirit, our posture is surrender. Open hands and ready. Lord, let my fears, my dreams be everything yours. I surrender my life and my wants for this day to you. I confess my posture to fight and defend and give it to you. The next posture is generosity. Our natural posture is this, to hold. If something good comes along, if something's wonderful, we take something and we hold on to it tight. What happens when you have something you want? You don't want to let go of it, right? You hold on to it. You hold on to it so tight. But you know what the problem with this posture is? You can't receive anything. And so a spirit, a posture of generosity is open hands. Because see, I need things from God. And it's true. Lord, I need peace. I need patience. I need self-control. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need grace. Oh, and our Lord that is generous gives it to us. In the scripture it says, freely, freely, I give you receive, right? He gives us our daily bread. And in our morning posture, open up saying, God, I need it. And then when we get it, be generous with it. See, he's generous to me. He gives me forgiveness, I give forgiveness. He gives me peace, I give peace. See how this works? It's a constant flow. And the final posture is mission. Our natural posture is this. Our natural posture is to hold everything in, to stand back and spectate and observe, critique and judge, not let anyone get into our world. I am an island. But God says, oh no, obedience to the Spirit is mission. I am open, I am ready. God, help me embrace this world. Help me to shine your light like the father with the prodigal son. Let me embrace those around me that need you. Surrender, generosity, and mission. Imagine if we as a body started praying that every single morning. Surrender, generosity, mission. Make you know, what is my role in that today? Imagine, what would that look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. I think it would look a lot like that Acts 2 gathering of believers. Because then we would all be stronger together, being obedient to the Spirit, seeing Him work in amazing ways by just being obedient step by step with whatever role you have today in that and I have in today that. We are all going to many different places. Am I standing in the way?